What, a, what, an, what an encouragement every single time that we do a baptism Sunday, right? To just be reminded that Jesus is, is, is bringing people who are lost, who are blind, and allowing them to be found in him. Amen? And so we're always encouraged. We want to be a church that's always seeing baptisms, that's always seeing fruit, that's always seeing the good news go forward, that's always seeing people that didn't know Jesus come to know Jesus. That's our heart. So no matter where you're at today in your spiritual walk, whether you don't believe in God, you're a sold-out follower, you're an atheist, you know what? This is the place for you to be at. This is the place for you to be at. And this is a place to say, okay, I don't know what I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I believe or be strengthened in what I believe, and I'm here to, to hear the word because we preach the word here, and we believe that lives are transformed when they're introduced to Jesus through the clear preaching of the word of God. Praise be to glory. Hey, at the end of the service, I'm going to make a call. I'm going to uh, clearly lay out if, if you are here and you haven't made a decision, maybe you don't even know what that means, but you haven't made a decision like these people on stage made to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, then I want to clearly invite that at the end of the service. And I just want you to be aware of that now before we dive in because, hey, listen, God can work in crazy and mysterious ways. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You are worthy of glory and honor and praise. Jesus, thank you that you're not afraid of getting into our mess, of our dirtiness, of our sinfulness, that you jump right into the middle of it and you transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you came down because of love, because of love to die for us. We thank you that you didn't wait till we were all cleaned up and new and good, but you came down to die for sinners, to make them new, to buy them to be your children, and to repair a place for us with you in eternity. It was always about our relationship with you. And so this morning, God, as we dive into your holy, 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 holy scripture, we pray that you would guide us, that you would lead us. More than anything, Father, would you encourage us in your word, God, Give us life through these, through these words, Father, that ultimately come from you. Father, help me preach this morning, God. I humble myself before you. I can't do it without you. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. 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 I've been married a, a little bit over a year now. I should know exactly when, but I think it's a year and a half. And... Um, and so right around the time, right, right before we got married, um, I ended up buying our own place. And so I bought this little condo that we were going to move into once we got married in Oak Lawn. And, uh, it, you know, we've been married now. Things have been going great. Marriage is going great. There's one thing in this condo that was just driving me crazy for months, though. Um, I'm all for people smoking, do, you know, what you need to do, but I don't want to smell it in my own unit, right? Some of you guys know apartment and condo owners, you have a building like that. In the hallway, it reeks, but in my place, I don't want it to smell. Well, there's two places that somehow this smoke, both cigarette and weed smoke, gets through into our unit. One is in my closet. So if you smell me smelling like weed, it's not me backsliding. It's, it's my clothes are just 
baked in it. And the second one uh, is, uh, is our bathroom. And we have one little bathroom in this condo, and, and uh, for whatever reason, the bathroom is the place that it just, it just starts to smell like weed, specifically. And so our joke around the house was, you know, if you're having a rough day, then just spend an extra couple minutes in the bathroom. You know, you'll feel a little bit better, you know, by the time you're done. And I was just at a point, you know, it doesn't smell that way every day, but there was one point where I was just like, there's some days it just reeked in this bathroom. And I got to, you know, Carolina was brushing her teeth one day and I went into the bathroom and I was just like, oh my, oh, I can't stand this. This smells horrible in here. I just, I can't put up with this anymore. And so that was the moment I put my foot down and said, I'm going to figure out where the smoke's coming from. So I'm, all, I'm going to the tub, I'm looking for holes and cracks and this. I'm like, how is this thing? Can't find it. Open, I mean, it's a small bathroom. Open up the, you know, the cabinet, I'm looking underneath, it's not there. I'm going up to the vent, I mean, I look like a crazy person. I'm like sniffing, like, <laughs> I can't smell, and I cannot find this. And I'm like about to give up, I'm like, I, we will not stay here. Like, you know those meltdown moments? Like, we will leave if this continues. And at that moment, I looked and I saw, there's a big mirror right here. I saw to the left of the mirror was this little hole that I'd never seen before. And so I, I said, hey, Caroline, move it to the side real quick. And I put my nose up to it and took a big whiff in and got high. No, I took a big whiff in. I could have. If I stayed there long enough, I would have been high. And I, I put my nose and it just like reeked. So I realized that this smoke was in the walls. And I'm like, here's the source. So we took the mirror off and to our surprise, we found this like massive hole that was hidden behind the mirror. Now for you TikTokers, this is not gonna go the route where like our neighbor was watching us or something. But we did realize that the neighbor had covered up this hole and all this weed and all this cigarette smoke that was coming through was leaking into our apartment because they, the hole basically wasn't covered up. And so we invited her dad to come over. He patched up the hole and we solved the issue of getting high in the bathroom. And I was thinking about that experience that I had. I was just kind of sitting and pondering a little bit and thinking about how that relates a lot of times to our walk and even our spiritual walk, our faithfulness that we have with God. That we often want to kind of depart or give up or move on when we feel like we have a problem that we can't fix. When we feel like we're stuck or there's something, there's a hole, there's something that's going on. There are certain things in our walk with Christ as you're trying to live out and uh, follow Jesus with everything that you have, as you're trying to be faithful to him, as you're trying to you know, have a marriage that you really love and you're faithful and you're committed and you're connected and you're trying to, in your speech, you know, as we live out this walk, there are traps, holes, things that if we don't first identify and second, if we don't fix, will, will really be challenges for us staying faithful to Jesus. And it seems like as you move forward in the faith, two things happen. You either get more connected with Christ and more aligned with Christ, or what a lot of us have seen and people that we've sat next to in church and know is that if you don't take the time to align yourself with Christ, we start to drift. Today, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about us as we're being 
followers of Jesus trying to live for him and how we can go to the word and glean insights from the word that are going to help us be that faithful, committed, growing Christian that's experiencing the life transformation that we all want in Jesus. And we're going to, uh, the book that we've been in is, is 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can look at the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is speaking, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a young leader, Timothy, and these are his final words. The Apostle Paul is in a Roman prison, and he's writing to a young pastor, a young man of, of God. His name is Timothy. And these are the final words that Paul will write in the New Testament before he is executed and killed. Paul knows that his end is coming, and so he's really writing important words inspired by God to help Timothy be faithful. Can I see a raise of hands? Does anybody need help being faithful in this room? Anybody ever feel the challenge of walking with Jesus? Anybody ever feel the stretch and the temptation of the world and feel like, I want to be faithful, but it's hard, right? And so we're going to dive right into this. Chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, Paul says this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. And by his appearing, that's the second coming of Christ, and his kingdom, that's the kingdom that, that Jesus is establishing and going to bring the fulfillment of, here's the command. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort, that means encourage, with complete patience and teaching. If you're taking notes this morning and you want to know in your own personal walk how you can stay faithful and not drift away, write this down. Number one, we have to prepare for opportunities prepared by God. We need to prepare for opportunities prepared by God. Paul starts off and he starts off with the authority or the understanding of where we need to kind of go first before we apply the word to our life. He says, I charge you in the presence of God to preach the word. In the presence of God, Paul is reminding us with this language that God is an all-seeing God. That God is aware of every single thing that we do. That God knows all things, sees all things, and is aware of all things. You know, this should be something that's encouraging to us, first and foremost. You know, sometimes you look at, there's billions of people on the world, you say, well, my, my issues probably aren't that important to God. Uh, why do I need to pray? He probably doesn't care. But let me tell you, that's total lie. I want you to know that the all-seeing God sees you. The all-seeing God sees your heartbreak when you lose somebody that you love. The all-seeing God sees the tribulations and the trials that you're going through, and you, yet you continue to remain faithful. The all-seeing God sees when you lose a job and you start crying out. Before you even cry out your prayers, he's aware that you lost your job, and he's able to make a way. He's the all-seeing God. And Paul is reminding us, what an encouraging verse. He's saying, in the presence of God and Jesus, just remember that every action we do should be out of the light and of the view that Jesus sees everything that we do. 
Not only is that encouraging, but let me tell you the sobering reality for us. Not only does he see everything we do and he's able to you know, empower us and give us and bless us with whatever we need, but he's all, it sobers us in knowing that he is watching and Paul says he is, think about this title. We don't use this one often for Jesus. We talk about Jesus being the savior. We talk about Jesus being the Lord. But Paul introduces another title to us that's echoed in scripture, Jesus the judge. Jesus, the judge of the living and of the dead. He's saying, in light of that, make sure that your actions are in alignment with God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I act different when I know somebody in authority is watching me. Specifically, cops. <laughs> and I don't have a big rap sheet. I got pulled over one time and didn't get a ticket. I was coming home from small groups. That's another story. But whenever I'm driving down the road and something's going on, if there's a cop, you know, by, you know, beside me or behind me, you ever just, you just get a little nervous sometimes? Like, you didn't even do anything wrong. You didn't rob a bank, but you're like, did I do something wrong, though? And I don't know, I'm, I'm like, a lot of times when I drive, I'm leaning back. I got one hand like this. And when I see a cop, I, I sit for I put both hands on that steering wheel. I'm like, I see you, officer, both hands. I'm in the ready position over here. And I have an officer behind me. When I know that there's somebody who's got their eyes on me or looking at the cars around them, when I get to a stop sign, I look left and right, and then I count. One, two, make sure I stopped at that line. Three. You know, when I know that there's a cop around me, is somebody that's an authority that can, you know, do stuff, can, you know, I can get in trouble, they can write me up. You know, just that reality of that authority makes me make sure that, hey, I got to make sure that I'm doing things right because if I do things wrong, there's penalties and repercussions and circumstances because of that. And so the presence of this cop or authority makes me align with the law. When it comes to God, when we are aware that the almighty God, that his presence is near us, that he has his eyes on you, that he's aware of the way that you're living for the good and for the bad, I'll tell you what, what it makes me do is it makes me go, oh, I want to align everything that's in my life with God because I know that he's watching. And not just out of judgment, but I want to honor him. I want to show him the love that I have for him when I live in a faithful way to him. I want to live in the right way because I want to please him. He's the one that I'm seeking the approval for. And so when I'm doing things, if my heart's in the wrong way, if I'm doing something with the wrong motive, sometimes I say, God, help me. God, change my motive because I don't want to do this for people. I want to do this for you, God. Yeah, yeah, there may be people around me that see me, God, but you always see me. You know God sees you when you're praying in your room with the door closed? That God hears your prayers. That God sees you when you go above and beyond to be generous to somebody in your circle or to be generous to some organ. God, nobody else needs to know but God. God sees you. And Paul says, hey, listen, knowing that God sees you, knowing that you are in his presence, that he is watching you, there's an action that God wants you to do. He wants you to preach the word. This means proclaim, herald, share. God wants you to share his truth. He wants you to share his gospel. He wants you to share the message of love. 
He wants you to share a message of reconciliation and relationship repair. He wants you to share that truth with unbelievers and with believers. He wants you to be someone that shares the truth. And when we take this claim seriously to share the truth, we start looking at everything in a little bit of a different way. We start preparing ourselves in a different way too. He doesn't just say preach the word, but listen to what he says next. Be ready, come on, don't just preach, be ready in season and out of season to share the word with people. How many of us have been in situations that we didn't expect would be an opportunity and an opportunity arises. I was watching the UFC fights last night. Great fights. And almost every time I watch a UFC mixed martial arts fight card, there's somebody on the fight card that, you know, their opponent got injured and so they had to make a last minute, five day call to somebody that was on the UFC's roster and try to get them in the ring to fight this person. That's always interesting to watch, right? I always see two things. You either see the person that took no break, they were training for this moment, they were just waiting for the call, they're in shape, they're ready to go three rounds with their opponent, or you see the person that was sitting on the couch for the last couple months, and they show up with a bigger belly than they'd had the last fight, and they got a little chip still here, a little Lay's chips from them sitting on the couch watching Netflix. And they show up, and they can barely get through the first round. Why? Because one person prepared and said, I'm ready. I'm waiting. This opportunity may come at any moment, and I want to be prepared for the opportunity so that I don't squander it. There are opportunities with your family members, co-workers, your friends, your neighbors, who you are the only person in their life that knows Jesus. Who do you think that Jesus is going to use to reach that person? There are people that God has placed you and given you relational equity with them just so that he can use you to reach them with the truth of the word of God that helps them in a dark and desperate season. And in the dark and desperate season, God uses you. He gives you the call. Hey, someone else had to bail, but it's time for you to step up, to share what you know, to share your testimony, to share the truth, because I want to use you to reach that person that's lost. See, God wants us to be prepared and ready for any opportunity to share that comes our way. And I love what the famous, famous coach, uh, John Wooden, once said. He said, when opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. Well, when they give me the call that I'm, no, 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 it's too late. At that point, you're either ready or you're not. And God is saying to us, he's saying, listen, I'm watching everything, and my people, they need to be ready because I'm trying to change the world. I'm trying to reach lost people. And we, the church, are the main vehicle and vessel that God uses to reach the world. Number two, write this down. We're talking about how to remain faithful and not drift away. Number two, expect, expect the shift and guard from drift. Verse 3 says, prepare 
be ready in season, out of season, for the time is coming. And I would argue is already here. When people will not endure sound teaching, they won't want to hear what the Bible actually has to say. But having itching ears or a longing for truth, which everybody has a longing for truth, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away, leave, walk away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There are churches in driving distance right now that have a cross at the top of the church that, have, that are in this time period, this season, where they may even have a Bible open at the podium, but they're teaching things like sin isn't sin. They, they, they may wave the Bible around and have stained glass walls, but they're preaching that there is no hell. There's people that you'll see on different Christian programs that will tell you if you just give, love this one, right? If you just give so much money, you'll be healed. There are people who, and there is a time that's come, I believe, where people will not endure the sound teaching. They will not want to listen to what the Bible has to say, and they will then go to teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. You know, my father, we only really had uh, one or two computers in the house growing up, and so my dad's was the Apple uh, computer, the Mac computer in the house, and so growing up with our iPads and our um, uh, iTouches, it was before iPhones, we would all use his computer and upload all of our teenage nonsense music. So he's just got albums and albums and albums and albums of like things he's never even like listened to, he doesn't like. My, I, would, I would listen to like screamo music and rap. My dad called my screamo music, he, his, his wording for it was uh, white boy angry music. <laughs> that stuck. My sister went through her, all her phase, and so on my dad's laptop, he had all these, and he would plug his phone in, and because he had his settings where it would just automatically download, I mean, he just has thousands of songs from our best highlights of our teenage years on his phone. And when I still, to this day, when I get in the car with him, his, his car will automatically kick in and start playing randomly, shuffle, one of the songs from, that's on his iTunes from our music. And he loves to mess with me. So he'll like, he has like one good dance move. He'll go like this. He'll do like, he'll start moving like this in the car. Like, and he'll just like start getting to the song. And he knows that like, ah, I don't want to listen to this. Some of the songs that I listen to on there that get played, they're not that bad. I don't mind listening to them. Other ones, I just want to skip as quickly as possible. I don't want to hear it. It reminds me of my dark high school years and things I don't want to go back and like, skip, skip, skip. Don't like that. Don't like that anymore. Don't like that style. And I was thinking about how we do that with Scripture sometimes. About how sometimes we treat Scripture like it's an old iTunes playlist. And the problem with that is we don't get to play or skip with the pages of Scripture. We, we can't come to it and say, ooh, I don't like that one, so skip. And I like that one, so let me play it. We, we can't play love your neighbor but skip, forgive your brother. We, we can't play, give glory to God, 
but skip give the tithe to God. We can't play be filled with the spirit, but then skip get drunk on wine. See, when we come to the word of God, the scripture, when we come to this, it's either all true or it's not. And so when we come to it, we have to say, hey, there's things that I get to in the Bible and I go, ooh, I don't like that. Hey, listen, I don't like the verses that say pay taxes. Not my favorite ones, not the ones I'm quoting all the time. But you know what God's called me to do that? He says, give to Caesar what's to Caesar, give to God to what God. God's called us. There's things that I, when I read it, I get uncomfortable. There's things that I, it was up to me. Maybe I wouldn't put in there. or Maybe I wouldn't want to follow that. But you know what? That's why I'm not God. This is God's word. He's the author of this book. And he's given it to us knowing that he is wiser, better, smarter than we will ever be, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will straighten your path. I was listening to, I was, I was thinking about, you know, kind of the mantra of today. What, what do we kind of like as a culture, what do we value, what do we live by? And I was thinking about this story with this incredible American uh, track and field sprinter. And uh, this was a big story not too long ago. And she was trying to make it to the Olympics, but she had done her testing and she had gotten caught for weed. And so basically, there was a big spiel, and basically, she was going to get cut out of the running to be in the Olympics. And if you remember, if you uh, maybe like Kanye West, Nike came out with a commercial with this great Kanye song. And on the commercial, she's there, the athlete's there, and she's running, and Kanye's song's in the background. And it finishes the commercial with one line on the screen. One line to kind of, you know, here's the message we want to communicate. One line, which I believe is the mantra of today. It's the saying that so many people live by. The line that it finished with is, live your truth. Live your truth. And live your truth means doing what you feel is right. Live your truth. I don't really know what I should do. Live your truth. Hey, I'm trying to figure it out. Well, what do you feel? Live your truth. And what Nike was saying is, hey, listen, I don't know she blew it, but hey, listen, she had to do what she needed to do. Live your truth. That was the mantra that was shared. And I was thinking about that. I thought, man, you know what? We need to live by truth, not live our truth. We need to come to the word of God, the holy scriptures, and say, you know what? There are things that that are difficult. There are things that even though we understand are difficult to apply to our life. And there's so many times where God wants me to forgive somebody, I'm wrestling with it. I'm like, I know what the verse says, but I also know how I feel. If I lived my life by live your truth or do what you feel like, I would never forgive anybody. But you know what? I don't live my truth. I live God's truth. And God's truth, God's truth says, hey, your feelings about not wanting to forgive that person or being betrayed by that person or being hurt by that person, those are totally real and legit. But I have still called you to forgive them. You know why? Because I've forgiven you. See, the Christianity that we live and follow, the Christianity of the Bible, is not a Christianity of find your truth, live your truth, or live by your feelings. It's live by faith. 
and live by faith in the word of God. When we study as Christians and we're trying to live faithful for Jesus and we study his word, when we know his word, we start living by truth and not living our truth. And there's a change that happens in that mentality. We are not just trying to do what we feel is right, but we're doing what God has told us is right. Even when it's hard, even when it's disagreeable, even when it goes against the culture, God has called us to live by truth. And every believer who's trying to live faithfully, there are times, listen, I'm your pastor, I'm telling you, there are times where I wrestle with this, but I come back to it and say, I know my feelings are strong and they can pull and they can lead me, but I want to be led by your faith in your word. Lead me, Jesus, so that when I blow it in my marriage, when I blow it in my relationships, when I blow it in my speech, that I can deal with that even when my feelings don't want me to align in that way, that I don't just live by my feelings. Even though I can't see, I live by faith. Help me, Lord Jesus, to live by faith. Number three, how do we remain faithful? Paul tells us, focus on what you're called to do. Don't just focus on everything that's wrong, the culture that's going astray, the things that you disagree with. Yeah, yeah, it's out there, and we can focus our mind and our attention on that. But Paul is saying, listen, focus on what you're called to do as well. Most importantly, focus on what God has called you and I as Christians to do. And he says, as for you, in other words, in contrast to people who try to find their own teachers to suit their own needs, in contrast to people who wander off because they don't want to hear the truth of the Bible, they want to hear their truth of the Bible, in contrast to all of that, he says, this is what we should do. He says, always be sober-minded. Sober-minded is being level-headed, unwavering. This is something about learning not to freak out or lose your cool. You know what? As I was studying this, can I be honest with you? As I was studying this, this is where the Lord was speaking to me personally. Because there's a lot of situations that are out of my control that I can't change with people. And sometimes I get overwhelmed by the situations that I can't change. Sometimes I start like, I, I just want to vent and I'm, my, my wife's, made really clear to me recently that, um, thankful for marriage, my wife's made really clear to me recently that she says, when you're venting, you just start repeating yourself. Thank you for marriage. And I started to think about it that sometimes when situations seem out of my, out of my control, I start getting anxious or venting or, or, or start to feel a certain way about the situation because if it's out of control, then I feel out of control. And yet what this verse is telling me is we are sober-minded. We can stay level-headed even when we don't have control, when we understand that God is bigger than our problem. When we are out of control, when we don't have the power to change somebody's heart. We don't have some, the power to change somebody's cycle, broken addiction that's destroying, that's destroying their family or destroying their, 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 their own body or their own life. When we don't have the power to change a situation, that's okay. We don't have to be anxious about it because God does have the power to change that person's heart. God does have the power to change that situation. God does have the power to do what we can't. And so when we're out of control, remember that he's still in control. 
He says, always be sober. Then he says, endure hardship. Mm. It is hard to be a Christian. It is hard as a single to live in purity. It is hard. To be generous with people that maybe don't deserve it. It's hard to show grace to people when they've hurt you. It's hard when people that you love and they love you and you've walked with them, they turn on you because of your faith. Or they belittle you because of your faith. And they know you, you're the, you're the same, but you're different, right? Because you're a follower of Jesus, but they just, it's hard for you to be around them. And it's, that's hard. There's times when people say things about you or tear down your reputation simply because they know that you're a follower of Jesus and they want to tear you down. And Paul's reminding Timothy, he said, before I go, I just need to remind you in this race, Timothy, to endure hardship. Because there will be times and every single person, you've been really following Jesus, you've been trying to be faithful to Jesus, there are times in our walk when we want to quit. There are times we want to give up. There are times we want to give in. There are times we say, I don't, I don't know if I want to keep fighting anymore. I don't know if this is worth it. And Paul is reminding Timothy, endure, persevere, don't quit, don't give up. Can I tell you, hold on, let me speak. Let me speak to the marriage in this room right now. Let me speak to the marriage in this room right now where the spouse has been faithfully praying for their, for their spouse. They have been praying and pressing in for years at this point, and there hasn't been a change yet. Let me tell you, endure. For that habit and that cycle that you have in your life that you're trying to break, and you're, you're one week clean, and you are holding on for dear life, Endure. For that thing that you have, that you feel like I'm ready to give up for that thing, let me tell you, endure, persevere, push on. Paul is in the middle of a jail cell and he's not quitting, writing to the guy who's coming after him. Endure, Timothy, because you're going to want to quit when people betray you, when it gets too hard, when culture says things, when you lose opportunities, you're going to want to quit. But endure. Don't wander, endure. He says, do the work of an evangelist. You know, there's people in our church who God has gifted in a certain way where they have the gift of evangelism. They're evangelists. That God has actually given all of us as Christians a gift, and there's some people he's given the gift that they have this special thing that kind of beats in their heart to share the faith with other people. You guys, some of you guys have these people in your small group. You're like, let's study the word. Let's just go out and share like, yeah, we can, we got, we'll share, but we got to study too, you know? And that's good. That's their gifting. That's how they're wired. They're wired to share. God's given them to us, gifted them that way so that they bless the church. But that doesn't mean that we're not all responsible too. Just because there's evangelists doesn't mean that we aren't called to evangelism as well. You and I are called to share the good news of the gospel, the message of Jesus to the entire world. And I think that the greatest danger to, our, to the gospel going forward is when the good news becomes okay news. You know, I, we just announced a few weeks back 
that my wife Caroline is going to have a baby, little baby boy, in April. And in that first, that first 12 weeks you're supposed to wait, it was so hard not to tell people. You know, people be so, are you trying? Be like, yeah, <laughs> trying. Mm -hmm. What are you guys thinking? Future? And we just wanted to share our good news. We wanted to share this new chapter, this new season, this change of our life with people that didn't know it yet. We were so, we were holy. When the, when we, the when 12 weeks, we were like, oh, we can't wait to tell everybody about our good news. How much more should we want to share the gospel with people? How much more? More than an engagement or having a baby or buying a house, how much more should we want to share the good news of Jesus and the transformation that he's brought in our life, how he's made us new, how he's made us new creations, made a place, prepared a place for us in heaven, that he came down and we could never pay the price for us to be right with God, but that Jesus has already paid it for us, that he took the cross and paid the price that we couldn't pay. And that long rap sheet that all of us have of sins that we've committed against others and ultimately against God, that in Jesus, that whole rap sheet is torn up and, and thrown away. That there is absolutely forgiveness, total. So much so that the Bible says the enemy, the devil, is out there accusing us day and night. But in, the, but in Jesus, there is no condemnation. The amazing news that you can sin and be broken and screwed up and take all the wrong decisions, ruin people, hurt people, discourage, do everything that you could do wrong. Be so disgusted with the way that you live that you don't even see hope for yourself. And yet the Savior made a way for you. And it's not through works, it's not through action, it's not through, you know, going into a cave and reading the Bible 24-7 or, you know, selling your whole house. And it's, it, he's just saying, when you call upon my name, knowing how far you've sinned and fallen, and you call upon me to forgive you and for salvation, trusting that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that I make the worst of the worst, the worst of the worst, I make them new. And when we know, then that's not just okay news. Like, yeah, yeah, there's other things. Let me tell you about, you know, Chick-fil-A I had later. No, 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 no. Talk about that. That's good news too, but not as good. When the good news doesn't become okay news, but it stays good news, and you're driven and compelled by that, you can't but help share with people that don't know it. You're compelled to tell somebody that their life's unraveling about the, true, about the true life and restoration that's found in Jesus and only Jesus alone. And it's the good news that transforms and changes lives more than any other thing that we could possibly do. It's the good news that makes dead people new. It's the good news that makes the blind see. It's the good news that transforms the hardness of our heart. Paul says, listen, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And let me say this, God has given each and every one of us a different ministry to be a part of. Be plugged into a ministry. Be serving in a ministry. Find the place 
where you feel like your passion and your proficiency crosses, that's typically the place where God has called you to be at. Hey, this is where I'm skilled. Listen, you're really not skilled in singing. You just be like, I got a real passion for it. Maybe not at church. <laughs> you got it, you got it, but karaoke machine at home sometimes makes it sound real good. Put a little auto-tune on there, you're like, I'm ready for the team. Like, But God has given you a place. God has given you a ministry. He has given you a calling for you to use your giftings and your abilities And let me finish with these last verses. The fourth and final is this. Live with eternity in mind. Live with eternity in mind. Verse six. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure, this is Paul, the time of my departure, the time for me to leave earth has come. I have fought the good fight. He's looking over his life. He's looking over his life talking about what it was to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, because of this, because I fought the fight, because I finished the race, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, reward, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day when he comes or when we die. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Paul's saying, this is the end of my story. This is the end of my journey. This is the end of my ministry. I'm going, this is, the Lord is calling me home. My time is short. But Timothy, God is going to use you. Let him use you. My race is done, but your race isn't yet, Timothy. Let God use you. He talks about fighting, running, and enduring. These three images that follow 2 Timothy over and over and over again. Let me finish with this. My, my, when my grandfather, when we go to Spain, my grandmother's been a missionary. My uncle and aunt have been missionaries there for a long time. My grandfather, who passed away uh, when he was 60, Bob Job was his name, grew up in Indiana, uh, you know, was uh, an electrician, was, was, uh, had a job lined up as a union electrician in the steel mills. And he came to Jesus when he was in his teenage years. His whole job lined up, good paying job. He had an old school fast car. And God got a hold of his heart. And he started reading the Bible, started following Jesus, and the Lord called him to missions work. And so they moved to Chile. This is a boy who was raised in Indiana, didn't know Spanish. Learned Spanish and went to Chile and shared the gospel village to village on horseback. Left the comfort of America left the good-paying job, the easy things that he could be doing, and said, you know what? It's more important, the priority of sharing the gospel in my life. And then him and his wife went to Spain and brought some young kids along with them. And he died in Spain, being a missionary for decades and decades there, sharing the gospel, starting some churches, and just reaching people for Jesus. His secret weapon, what he, would, he would fix people's cars, and while he was under the hood, When he was under the car, fixing the car, he'd share the gospel with them. That was his secret weapon. Found an open door, something people needed so that he can share the message that they really needed. 
And, you know, when we go, even this past time when we went, my dad takes us to his grave uh, tombstone. And it's this little tombstone. There's some, in this, there's some huge, crazy, huge grave sites and all this thing there. But when we go, we go to this little one all the way in the back at section 16. And my grandfather's tombstone is there. And a verse in Philippians is written on the grave, the tombstone, it says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And every time that we're there, my father reminds us of the legacy and the story of a man who rejected and left behind the comfort that he could have embraced to live faithfully for Jesus. When his name would never be known, he would have to give up a lot of different things, but that the ultimately, he reminds us when we're there, he received the crown of righteousness that those, those, get, those, uh, those who are faithful get, who finish the race, who fight the fight, and who keep the faith. What a gift to me that I'm able to see that example that I want to live out, that is highlighted in my family, that that's the example of what it means to be a success. Not money, not this, not that, but this, to be faithful to Jesus, counting everything else a loss so that you can know him and help others know him. And I wonder this as we finish, how many in here who are followers of Jesus need to be reminded that one day if you continue to walk faithfully, you will be that example to your children and your grandchildren that they will be able to look and tell your story over your gravestone when you are walking on streets of gold that the Bible paints as the gold will be even, it will be like a mirror. It will be see-through. It, see it's so pure the gold is when you are with Jesus in paradise and your life has passed like the mist that it is and mine is that one day people stand around your tombstone and talk about the legacy of faith that you had where you were faithful to Lord Jesus putting everything to the side so that others could know the gospel message that transformed your life. That's the definition of success. Biblical faithfulness. Your family can point back to your story so that they can learn to learn, so they can learn to run their own. Can we stand? spoken a lot of different things this morning, but I want to make one specific call. The Word of God is powerful. It's powerful. And if in hearing the Word of God this morning, the Holy Spirit spoke to you, and you heard it in a way you've never heard it, you heard it in a different way, you feel like God is drawing you, we make this call every once in a while in this room because we know that there's a lot of people who come in here with a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different faith stories, a lot of different stories, and that they don't know Jesus. And the principles without the person is nothing. 
You have the principles of truth without knowing the one who is true. It doesn't mean anything. You have to know Jesus first, the forgiveness and the truth and transformation that comes through knowing him. And it is an amazing love. You're being invited into a relationship with the creator of the universe who loves you in a deep and personal, special and unique way. And if you're in this room, it can be intimidating to be in a crowd, but if you're in this room and you know that God has spoken to you this morning specifically on the fact that you need to today make a decision to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior. You've heard of Jesus. You may be being, grew up in church, grew up around the truth, no songs, but you have never crossed the line of saying, I'm going to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. I need him to forgive my sins and I'm going to follow him. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. Would you raise your hand if that's you so I can see you? Shoot it up strong and be bold about it. You're saying, today I'm making a decision to be a follower of Jesus. Let me see if there's anybody in the room. Would you raise your hand if there's somebody here who's saying, I see you. Yep. Saying, I'm, today I'm making a decision. I've never made it before to be a follower of Jesus. Yep. This is what I'm going to do. As the worship team, um, as the worship team sings, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to meet you here at the altar. And um, if there's anybody else that needs to come, that needs to make that decision today, man, if I knew that my eternal destiny was hanging in the balance and I didn't know where, where I was going to go, if I didn't know the love of Jesus, I would run up here. There's nothing like it. And so as we sing, I want to pray with you. If you don't mind, if anyone wants to come forward, I'm going to meet you here, and I'm going to pray that you would receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, okay? Let's sing. If anybody else needs to join me, 